Welcome to CII Radio. I'm Luke Holloway, editor at the Chartered Insurance Institute. In this episode, we're talking to Dr. Matt Connell and Alex Barnes. In this episode of the podcast, we're talking about what the Financial Conduct Authority expects of insurers during the coronavirus outbreak. And we're joined by Alex Barnes, partner at BDO, and Dr. Matt Connell, Director of Policy and Public Affairs at the Chartered Insurance Institute. To find out more about this podcast and for useful links, go to thejournal.cii.co.uk forward slash podcasts. Here's our conversation with Alex and Matt. So hello, Alex. Hello, Matt. And uh, welcome to CII Radio. Hello. Hello. Hello to you both. And uh, yeah, very appreciative of you, of you joining us today. So uh, Alex, perhaps if we could start with you. At the beginning of March, the Financial Conduct Authority published a discussion paper on culture within financial services. What do you think the last few months have told us about uh, what the culture in financial services is like and how has the ongoing situation affected that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's really interesting because, I mean, COVID-19 is the largest insurance event that's ever hit the insurance market. Um, so it really is, it is going to have a significant impact on the market. Um, so lo- losses could range between £8.8 billion to um, £112 billion in the U- use of S and U- UK alone. And it's been interesting to see how the market's adapted. Um, the key things, key cultural aspects I've seen come, coming through is adaptability. The businesses have been able to be resilient to the operational issues. We've really been seeing the insurance market continue almost unchanged in a post-COVID world uh, where the nature of business is very different. No more face-to-face meetings in London. It is a lot more um, Zoom calls and various other things. But definitely responsiveness has been really, really important. The similarities with the financial crisis of 2007 as well, where the, the sort of sudden downturn in the markets and various other things meant that, first of all, insurance companies have been protecting themselves, which actually is quite right. That's what we want them to be doing, to be prudent. But then the cultural aspect they need to think about, well, they are, think, they, they are thinking about now um, and need to think about more going forward is the um, sort of conduct aspects as well. So dealing with policyholders with some potentially complex claims. Excellent. Thank you, Alex. Uh, And um, Matt, would you like to build on that point at all? Yeah, no, I think Alex makes a lot of really good points there. I think one thing that came out from the Financial Conduct Authority's work was this idea that firms should always be really engaged with their purpose. So firms should understand what it is that they're all about. And I think those firms that are most closest to engaging with their purpose have come out really well from the last few months. So for example, where firms really realize that they're there to help customers with all their risks, both insured and uninsured, and where they've had in-depth conversations uh, with their clients about risk management, for example, where brokers have had in-depth conversations with their clients about risk management and really under let them understand what it is that they can do to mitigate uninsurable risks as well as take out insurance for the insurable risks, where where that 
total uh, holistic advice process has taken place. Uh, there's been a lot of understanding between clients uh, and, and, and brokers and insurers uh, about what insurance can and, and, and can't do. Um, where people have gone down a more transactional route, just being order fillers um, for, for particular times of insurance, um, those we've seen are situations where, where people are learning about what their insurance does and doesn't cover more as they make a claim rather than when they buy the product. So I think the, the important thing in terms of culture is that it's really shown that those brokers and insurers that think about the whole customer are coming out of this really well. In response to the coronavirus outbreak, Alex, um, how would you rate the Financial Conduct Authority's response from an insurer's perspective? I think there's a lot of very good things they've been doing. Um, so firstly, the FCA and the PRA have been working in harmony with the these of other supervisory bodies across the world. Um, so in particular with EOPA. And that's very important for the insurers because the last thing they want is lots of regulators across the world doing different things, particularly for the London insurance market, which is a very international insurance market. I think that's been very welcome. And it's also been very good that they've suspended some some of their policy developments and the the regulatory change agenda. Um, So that aspect has been very, very welcome as well. And then also deferring and cancelling some of the financial and regulatory reporting requirements. Um, So sort of, again, has given insurers enough time to focus on these operational effectiveness angles, first of all, and then now these consumer protection sides as well. So I say the key parties they, 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 they both had, media was about business continuity and the operational resilience side which has been a great success um, and in some ways is due to continued effort in this area by the regulator and the piece of insurers and brokers. And then from a PRA perspective, the financial stability of these of, um, risk carriers. And that really has been largely a sort of success as well. What, what we're not seeing is insurers' viability being brought into doubt at this stage, um, which is very, very positive and very, very different from what we're seeing in other sectors. Um, from the FCA side, the conduct agenda, we're, we're, we're seeing the right kind of focus from the FCA around claims handling, policy terms, and making sure that they're adaptable where needs be, where the circumstances around insurance will, will um, change. So I think what the FCA is doing well is having some speedy statements that come out that tend to be quite simple and easy to read and easy for insurers and policyholders to think about within their businesses. So I think in general, they are doing the right things and doing what they should be doing. Also, they're asking insurers to deprioritize dividends, look after the capital of the businesses in these uncertain times, which again is very, very important because we aren't through the woods at all on this um, issue. And Matt, the uh, the Chartered Insurance Institute has obviously been keeping a close eye on what the FCA, uh, how they've responded to the pandemic. Are there any other key points that you'd kind of touch on from a regulatory point of view? Yeah, I'd agree with Alex. I think the FCA's response has been balanced. I think that on the operational side, there's been a, a remarkable response from the FCA, uh, really something we've never seen before, where they made that statement saying that they expected people who could work at home to work at home. And not only that, they, uh, under the senior managers regime, they expected 
senior managers to be responsible for making sure that people had the resources they need to work from home. So it was almost a case of, you know, if, if people can be working at home, but they don't have a laptop, go and buy them a laptop. So that was something with, I don't think I can remember an occasion where a financial services regulator anywhere has stepped in on the operational side in as, as clear and, and prescriptive as way as that. But I think the scale of the crisis um, meant that kind of intervention was appropriate. I think in terms of, as Alex says, in terms of um, conduct issues, I think the FCA's been very balanced. I think perhaps in the past, regulators have, have been keen to show almost a sort of more confrontational, crusading sort of um, aspect, the sort of be afraid, be very afraid sort of stance. But I don't think we've seen that from the FCA this time. I think they've pointedly asked firms to think about some very important issues. They've obviously said things that are very important, such as, you know, where a contract's in place, they expect firms to honor that contract. They expect firms to communicate clearly and, and, and fairly. And they've also gone a little bit further and said where where firms can see that they're not able to honor certain claims because of you know operational issues that they could should consider what that means for the whole contract which i think is is a completely valid point they've also said you know where risks are eliminated by covid-19 for example where where companies are no longer trading and so there's they're not running certain risks over the lockdown period they've asked firms to think about that but they've also made it clear that they're not asking firms to rethink the contract if the risk is reduced just if the risk is eliminated altogether and i think that challenge for firms is an important one i think the important thing there is for firms to go through the the thought process and be able to demonstrate that they've gone through the thought process with their clients best interests in mind, rather than the FCA coming out um, with, with a more prescriptive solution, which is right. And then I think where, where there are big controversies and where there is the potential for a, for a lot of legal action, I think the FCA, again, has tried to be fair and inject confidence in markets by setting up a process of test cases rather than simply sitting back and, and allowing for a free-for-all. So, so I think they've, they've behaved in a balanced and responsible way. Yeah. Excellent. Matt, if we could perhaps stay with you um, and move on to the insurance distribution directive, how do you feel that the pandemic's affected this and also that the FCA's expectation on continuing professional development for insurers as well, as it had big impact on those two points? Yeah, so the insurance distribution directive came in a couple of years ago and it, it introduced a new new requirement for people who work for insurance companies who work specifically on insurance within those companies to do 15 hours of continual professional development or at least 15 hours of, of ongoing training. Now, I think that is obviously going to be an issue for some people in a pandemic situation, perhaps where they don't have as access to as many materials as they had before, or, or where um, they have much more extreme caring requirements than than they would normally have. I think the, the important thing here is that the uh, insurance distribution directive does have a lot of flexibility in in ongoing training. That the important thing is that that whatever resource you access has to be has to be designed in order to increase someone's knowledge on something. So, you know, just flicking through a magazine isn't CPD, but for the purposes of the insurance distribution directive, reading an article that's intended to inform someone about a new piece of, of regulation or inform people about how they can better serve customers is a piece of CPD. And all that's needed is for, for firms to, to record that that learning has, has taken place. So, I think the important thing is that over over the course of a of an entire year, 
and with people having access to all sorts of materials, not just events, but um, written materials and online seminars and, and webinars, but also structured conversations with colleagues in which they're exchanging, you know, in a structured way, knowledge and information about services and, and products. Given the, the really wide range of, of sources of ongoing training that people have, I think there's enough flexibility in the, in the rules for firms to meet those those CPD requirements, but we would encourage people who are having issues to come to the Chartered Insurance Institute or to come to, to training providers and, and really talk, talk through um, what they can do, because I think people often find that what they can do in terms of CPD is very wide, and, and they might even be doing it already without even realising it. Excellent. Yes, um, we'd certainly encourage listeners to contact the CII if they have any any questions about that. And it, it is great to see how how training and learning is is continuing to evolve during during this kind of unusual time. Let's say, um, Alex, the the FCA weighed in on the business interruption debate, which of course has been a, a very hot topic right from the start of the the um, COVID nineteen outbreak. What outcomes? can we expect to see from their involvement um, on that issue? Yeah, I, I think it's been very, very important that they have got involved in this because it is clearly going to be a very emotive subject. The difficulty is, and what the FCA are very, very aware of, is the economic impact this has on the insured parties because there's a lot of businesses out there who aren't able to trade in their normal manner for a number of months. Um, so they are facing some quite dire circumstances. So having some recovery off insurance will be important for them or recovery from anyone, really. So they are going to be seeking to find coverage if coverage has been provided. And there is a problem because often the wording isn't always terribly clear. Wordings weren't always designed for something such as COVID-19. It was never really envisaged. So it is quite right for the FCA to, to get involved and quite right for the FCA to not give a, a firm opinion themselves, but to help coordinate key wording for the courts to consider and for them to put initial views uh, that can then be challenged. But I think it's a very, very important step. So I think as far as the outcomes, I think hopefully we will end up with more certainty for the policyholders on what is likely to be a, a, a worthy claims following up on. Um, and for the insurers, some certainty of what they're doing is going to be the right thing to do. The last thing is the these sort of insurers want to do is end up with costly legal cases and then regulatory scrutiny if they were viewed to take the wrong judgments. So at least some some degree of expectation of what they're doing is being a right. And ultimately, it's very important for the insurance market or um, the insurance market going forward for customers to have confidence in their insurance products. And Matt, how do you see the, the FCA continuing to guide that business interruption debate? Yeah, I think I think as Alex says, it's it's all about confidence and, and trust. You can't have confidence and trust in a market if contracts aren't being adhered to, but equally you can't have confidence and trust in a market that if, if that market's being used to, to do something that economically it was it was never designed to do. So so as Alex said, if policymakers and, and regulators try to 
use business interruption insurance as some kind of uh, vessel for for injecting capital into the into the economy that wouldn't have regardless of, of what what was in the contract that wouldn't have good results for for consumers because the insurers simply wouldn't have the capital to stand behind the the multi hundreds of billions of pounds that that will be needed for the for the economy over 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 many years and equally the insurers you know, just wouldn't have the capacity to, to raise that money uh, in future. And so future access to, to insurance would, would be affected. So I think the FCA has done the right thing. It, it stayed back. It's, it's talked about the fundamentals, about the importance of honouring contracts, which is, is hugely important. And then it's, it's organised these test cases so that there will be some, some certainty around what, what is and isn't acceptable practice in paying claims on, on business interruption. Um, I think there's, there's some uncertainty in the process inevitably. So these legal actions are going to take a long time, even, even if they are organised properly into test cases, there's going to need to be a certain amount of consultation first about which are the most appropriate cases to, to, to put forward. And I think as we've seen in, in you know, even in, within the last 12 months, when something goes through the, the court system, uh, what, what's decided by one layer of courts might be very different. You might get a very different decision from, from the highest uh, level of courts. You know, we saw that with the prorogation arguments around um, Brexit and, and Parliament sitting uh, last year, where, where, where you had very different uh, decisions from different courts taking different aspects of, of context into account when, when applying the law. And, and so I don't think this is necessarily going to be an easy ride or, or anything that's sort of simple and, and, and uncomplicated. These cases are going to be uh, have a lot weighing on them and they are going to have uncertain outcomes and the outcome might might be very onerous um, for, for insurers or very onerous for, for firms or who are making claims or, or both. But in the situation we're in, I think this, this way forward is, is the best way forward unless there's going to be some sort of um, bailout from, from the taxpayer, which, which doesn't seem to be so likely. So within the policy environment that the FCA works in, I think this is the, the best outcome. However, I think probably the FCA's most important contribution to this, and, and Alex talked about creating greater certainty and making sure that the, the next time something like this happens, that there isn't so much controversy. I think the FCA's most important contribution is the work they're doing on the supervision side with, with culture, really understanding what it is that creates certainty in the market and that helps people understand what kind of cover they've got. And I think the old way of doing things, that the traditional way of doing things of just writing down what is and isn't covered and writing lots of warnings and then going into more detail in terms of conditions. That approach it works when people are, are voracious readers or they've got a legal department to, to read contracts for them. But I think in the small business market, that's, that's not such a, a realistic expectation. And I think a huge amount depends in future on the, on the quality of advice that's given. And I think the insurance profession as a whole, sort of reimagining, re, relearning what it, what it does, uh, as, as many firms are doing at the moment, uh, really thinking about the kind of advice they give and the kind of service they give in terms of this total risk management. So, so for example, one broker that, that we've talked to has, has completely changed the way it, it structures renewal meetings with customers. Uh, it sits down and talks about what, they, what they're facing in terms of total risks, talks about the uninsurable risks first and what they can do to mitigate those, and then talks about what kind of insurance is appropriate for the insurable risks. And it's that kind of process that gives people a sense 
what they are and aren't insured for uh, much more than a, than a series of uh, warnings or a, or a lengthy contract, however well written that that contract is. So I think that the, the really important intervention from the FCA, when people look back in, in 20 or 30 years' time, will be around this, this aspect of, of culture and the nature of advice, even more so than, than the outcome of any, any legal cases. Absolutely. Which brings us on to our, our final question. Obviously, we're living in fairly unpredictable times at present. But Alex, what can insurers expect to see from the FCA um, from this point onwards in the coming months in, in 2020? Yeah, it's quite interesting, this one. I mean, there's no crystal ball. But I think what Matthew mentioned before is absolutely right. We are going to have a change in the process of how we do business, really. So, so it'll be interesting to see how the insurance market is going to be different in this post-COVID world. We very much focused on the London market being a um, sort of a London insurance social market in the past. It may operate in a different manner going forward. But I think from the FCA, we're sort of likely to get um, evolving guidance and hopefully in the same sort of responsive manner that they've been doing so far. And then in due course, there'll be a bit more of an intervention style uh, particularly where they feel certain parts of the insurance market may not be treating customers as fairly as they may expect them to. It'll be interesting to see how they deal with, say, motor insurers who may not be sort of, sort of um, thinking about the, the sort of nature of the motor insurance and how those risks may have changed. And um, other areas of the insurance market that could be very profitable right now. And then in due course with business interruption and so on, how the claims are actually settled in the longer term. But hopefully we don't, we don't need to go too much down the ease of intervention road. There will be a lot more guidance and um, direction from the FCA. Just going to in- endorse what Alex was saying there, that it really is around, around guidance because the kind of culture that, that you need isn't something that you can prescribe in a, in a set of rules. Um, it has to be, it has to come from people within the profession understanding what their responsibilities are to clients rather than the FCA telling them because it's, it's got to be in every pore and every second of, of them people spending time in their jobs it, it can't just be something that they check off at the end of the day on a tick list absolutely um, well thank you Matt and thank you Alex for, for joining us today on CII Radio it's been um, of huge interest I'm sure to our listeners and it's great to get an overview of how the FCA has been working with insurers during this situation so thank you so much for, for coming in and speaking to us today thank you Pleasure. Excellent. And thank you for joining us and listening to this episode of CII Radio. If you'd like to find out more, you can visit thejournal.cii.co.uk forward slash podcasts, or you can also follow us on Twitter at CII Group. So until next time, stay safe and thank you for listening to CII Radio.